Hey everybody, you know what time it is. It is time for another trip through Observations. This is Observations. I am Rob Liefeld. Thanks for hooking up with me once again. We are in the 1990s. We started uh, with my with my youth in the 70s and it's landed us in the 1990s, specifically 1991, which I'm going to call the Summer of X. Summer of X. Now, you were told it was called Mutant Genesis. Mutant Genesis. What's a Mutant Genesis, right? Wasn't Summer of X just easier to digest, easier? Hey man, it's Summer of X. Hey man, it's Mutant Genesis. Hey man, it's Summer of X. No, 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 man. It's Mutant Genesis. Okay. It was a mouthful, but it worked. You guys showed up. You came out in droves. It was the culmination of everything that had started when I was recruited to join Team X. Everything is something of X now, right? I, I, I was recruited to join Team X shortly after I had done Hawk and Dove uh, and, 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 and eventually jumped on to the New Mutants in 1989. Now, I, I'm just going to get something out of the way here. I don't really enjoy talking about um, my run and my impact. I, I enjoy talking about it with, with friends or people who are there, but, but giving it in this historical perspective is weird. I'd much rather pour out all the love I have in the world for Frank Miller, for John Byrne, for Chris Claremont, for George Perez, for Walt Simons, and for all those guys that I hold in such high esteem. But we are working our way towards the present and, and, and working our way through all of the different um, shifts and 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 movements in comics that 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 put us in these incredible places and against eventually like i said get us to the now and and you can't do that without you know covering the summer of x also known as mutant genesis um the the the, the summer of x put so many pieces on the table uh that that, that became crucial in everything that were what was to come in in comic books and and so you don't get you know image comic books um unless i take the new mutants gig you don't get image comic books unless jim relaunches x-men number one in the summer of 1991 right so so all of these things matter and so i'm i'm fortunate that not only was i there i was part of it and i do love sharing it and it's going to be a really interesting uh, examination of what really the, the 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 MVP the game ball the 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 guy who deserves the accolades is our editor Bob Harris, who had hand picked all of these different pieces in the utter, the utter transformation of 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 the X Men office. Which, by the way, you got to realize, X Men was the number one selling franchise in comics in 1989 when we are recruited. When he takes it over from Ann Nascenti who had been editing the books following Louise Jones, um, which was following, I believe, Jim Salakrap, maybe Bob Budiansky. Now I'm way too out of my, my out of left field, but let's go. So so from Louise Jones and then Ann Nascenti had become the, the, the editor of the X books and then Bob Harris inherits the mantle. Okay, guys? And the books are popular. The books are number one. Mark Silvestri's X-Men has not been dislodged. It is number one. X Factor by Walt Simonson is a top-selling uh, X-Men book. Uh, Wolverine by John Buscema is a top-selling Wolverine book. 
and the New Mutants, as we all know, was lagging behind. That is historical perspective. That is not my personal opinion. It is the reason I was able to clean up the house, flip the house, uh, put all new, you know, decorations, furniture, everything, and 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 revamp it. And and that that goes into this crazy uh, summer of X that 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 became the Mutant Genesis marketing campaign because. You now have these new characters, new faces, new um, exciting new voices that the fans were absolutely in every possible way uh, following up. Uh, uh, they, they were excited about meeting more of these now X-Force characters because they, they did not know them just, just 18 months earlier. In some cases, like Shatterstar and Domino, there's only six months before they appeared and they're in X-Force number one. And that six months is an empty gap because New Mutants comes out in February 100, ending the run, and then we get X-Force in June. But that I was only one part of a much larger puzzle. Jim Lee coming on the X-Men books was 100% transformational. If I haven't been clear before, let me be perfectly clear here and tell you that, that the uncanny X-Men work that Jim Lee did <clears throat> is by far and away, by far and away, my favorite work of his entire career. Uh, from from the uh, the Captain America Wolverine World War II uh, or kind of saga um, issue numbers are not my thing covers you guys fill in you guys who love the issue numbers you fill that in for me um, but a lot of times I I pull up here to the desk with just a sentence of what I'm going to cover I don't bring as many materials as I should so a lot of this is just me shooting from the hip remembering where I was what was going on. And, and, and walking us through it together because so much of it was so exciting to me. But then uh, when, when, when Rogue is in the Savage Land and the X-Men arrive in the Savage Land, Magneto and Rogue, and then the X-Men are in, 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 uh, in, in space with the Star Jammers and with the Imperial Guard, and, uh, and there's, again, like I said, there's Magneto. Um, what Jim did fundamentally uh, was bring the, 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 the X-Men back to kind of a greatest hits uh, uh era of the burn claremont stuff okay um part of what made the burn claremont stuff so exciting for my generation was he took uh that claremont and burn took the x-men on this year-round international journey that, that that started with them in Antarctica, punching through the savage land catching a boat to japan from japan to canada and eventually they found their way home shortly later to go and battle Proteus in Scotland. Very international flavor to the book, but those Savage Land, those three Savage Land issues, those two Moses Magnum issues in Japan, those, those two Alpha Flight issues, that is the stuff of legend. That is when you did not know what you were going to get, and every port of call that they pulled into Canada brought them the, you know, the Alpha Flight. Japan got Moses Magnum, the Savage Land, was the single best uh, uh, interpretation, the best artistic rendering in my life of Kazar and Zabu and the jungle, and I've never seen the Savage Land depicted better. Um, what kicked all that off a few issues earlier was the Imperial Guard and their big showdown with the X-Men in, in, in 107 and 108. I do know those. those. Those numbers are burned into my, you know, into my brain. Uh, um, and the Imperial Guard, which we've covered, is the, the echo of the Legion. I mean, they have basically there's a lightning lad there's a there's a cosmic boy there's a colossal boy they're all there they're all painfully obvious 
but they're wonderful because it's like, hey, the, the literally the 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 Legion of Superheroes from DC has crossed over into the Marvel Universe, and the Marvel Universe version of these characters is the Imperial Guard. And literally, there's a version of Ultra Boy, there's a version of Timberwolf, there is a version of Saturn Girl. Marvel made no apologies about this. Um, they embraced it. Fans loved it. It's part of that cheat code that 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 Marvel and DC do to each other, where they go, "Oh, I kind of want to do a version of this." I mentioned in uh, the the uh, a recent episode, Dan Jurgens' epic, fantastic run on Superman that was years, years long. And there's an episode where there's a Cable kind of guy, and there's a Fantastic Four Echo, and they're fun and get over it. They're not stuff stuff that you were to get supposed to be offended over. Today's audience sometimes goes, harumph, harumph, harumph. Look at that character looking like that character. Yeah, that's been going on for 30 plus years, maybe longer, okay? You're not, this is not a new practice. This is something that goes back. You don't see me pointing fingers. Um, sidebar, okay? For years, there's been a uh, real sidebar. Dance with me on this one for a bit. But in, in terms of the Imperial Guard echoing Legion of Superhero, hey man, like, uh, so I am drawing a G.I. Joe comic book right now because I love G.I. Joe when I was a kid. And I've been holding off on, on, on introducing uh, Storm Shadow into the, um, the, the, into the lore, into this, this conflict with Snake Eyes. And I know how much the fans love Storm Shadow, but I have never drawn Storm Shadow. So I start drawing Storm Shadow. And one of the things that I do is I go to my Google search engine and I type in the word Storm Shadow to get some recent images, costume reference. And the images from uh, the, the uh, movie come up. And so I see him in real life. And then I see the toys they made on Storm Shadow. And, and, and going back to the beginning, an all-white adorned ninja with guns and swords. And I swear to you, I'm like, wait, is this Phantom X? The, the, the character that arrived from the, from the pages of, uh, of, of, uh, in, in Grant Morrison's Uncanny X-Men? And, and as I'm drawing him, I'm like, holy crap. Why did I never make the connection that Phantom X is just Storm Shadow? Okay, that they're honestly, especially the movie version. Um, maybe the guys who are making the GI Joe movie wanted to kind of throw some shade because the GI Joe 2009 version of Storm Shadow looks exactly like the Phantom X in the comic books. But Storm Shadow obviously beat Phantom X by about two decades. But sometimes you go, oh, it took me long enough. I see that Phantom X all white kind of ninja super agent guy uh, looks like all white ninja super agent guy called Storm Shadow. So occasionally you get these echoes. They're no big deal. They kind of make it all a little bit more fun, in my opinion. And the Imperial Guard is absolutely a blast and fun. And Jim depicts them, along with returning the X-Men to the Savage Land, along with a glorious mag uh, uh, re return to Magneto's uh, 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 presence and, 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 and his... his his stunning impact on the book. And he does it with a giant splash page reveal in the same way that John Byrne and Chris Claremont did Magneto in the red armor helmet with a giant splash page reveal. This is this this is any child of 1977 who picked up the X-Men and, and continued through 78, 79, and, and, and it's everybody's favorite, you know, run on comics and that, again, you can get a group of comic fans together and throw a rock at them and every single person you're going to hit with that rock if they were alive in 1977, 78, 79, 80. X-Men was their favorite comic. The Burn Austin run is the stuff of legends. I was actually at the aforementioned Frankensons. I've been talking about that that um, 
amazing it's basically a giant comic book plaza comic book mall dedicated uh, comic book convention three times a week in uh in the city of industry here in southern california i was buying a couple back issues uh from from several dealers there are at last count 14 dedicated comic book dealers every week and i was buying some uh, uncanny x-men back issues because i can never get enough of them and i like getting them in nicer and nicer you know conditions and it's just it's just my hobby okay but some some of these like like i have like 10 copies of of uncanny x-men uh you know 181 uh uh you know uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry 141 141 and 142 the days of future past okay i i just if i see it i buy it it's just like hey i need another copy of that so i am uh talking with a uh dealer who's who's got all of this bronze age all in mylar they're really nice condition and i'm grabbing it and he goes hey lifo uh you know we got our face masks on we're, we're, we're talking muffling you know we're, we're, we're muffling to each other hey lifo um and i say hey what's up man he's like would you say this is the greatest run in the history of comics i have talked to this guy this gentleman one other time when i bought a comic book from him about two months ago and he uh looks to be in his 40s says to me, would you say that this Uncanny X-Men line is the greatest run in the history of comics? I said, to fans of my age, that is exactly the case. But so, you know, that Burn Austin run is, is crazy. And and so when Jim got on, he did what any good uh, fan of that era would do. He he sequelized it. I mean, look at look at the era we're in now. I, you know, the Star Wars sequels, the Jurassic Park sequels, all of the giant, um, I mean, Cobra Kai is burning up on on start on youtube now on netflix because it's a sequel to something that's beloved so it's a it's a it's it's a revisit okay it's it's uh it's it's a it's a trip down memory lane it's it's what people want had i my buddy who was in my studio with me marat we would always talk about what we would do if we took over the x-men every story i wanted to do was a sequel to the stuff that claremont and uh and, and john Byrne did because in in your mind you want to revisit the stuff you love the most and build on the ideas maybe you had that the, 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 there's not a story that you read that you don't consider a different possibility, okay? And, and, and that different possibility turns into a story idea, and so you sit on it. And so the thing with Chris Claremont, up until this point, he did not like to go backwards. The reason the X-Men were in the barren Australian desert uh, during the Mark Silvestri run, moving further and further and further away, they needed an Aborigine man to open his portal and transport them and that's how they would get to manhattan or los angeles or wherever they needed to be to have a modern adventure um that was because chris kept he wanted to keep pushing the envelope getting further and further and further away from the work that he did before he did not like to revisit his old familiar haunts and under his recent years he had really turned um magneto into a more sympathetic uh figure he'd even had him be headmaster uh under under his under his direction uh, you know, Magneto became a headmaster for the mutants briefly, but but he was definitely, um, I mean, they put him on trial. They did a lot of crazy stuff with him in the Lomita Jr. era, but Magneto was no longer the focus of the book. And in fact, you know, the, the, the entire X-Men concept was, you know, hunted and hated by those they've sworn to protect, okay? The X-Men concept in and completely imagined by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are a secret group of extra gifted um, 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 people called mutants. They have powers. They feel that those powers separate them from mankind and make them feel sometimes rejected, sometimes ostracized, 
they, 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 you know, we, we, we've seen even through the films. I think the films did a really good, good job of, um, especially the early films, uh, X Men One and X Men Two did a great job of showing, you know, how these kids, uh, uh, long to to just want to, to not feel abnormal, and they 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 band together. Xavier has gathered as many of them as he possibly can to give them instruction, and and because the world that hates them is also the one that they have chosen and sworn to protect. So when they show up and you're not excited about them and they still do their job, even though you're spitting on them or you're cowering after Cyclops and Iceman walk away from putting the bad guy down and you're scared that, the, that this super race exists, the fact that they serve and protect you is, is what brings them honor and what brings all the conflict. And really that is driving so much of the Summer of X mutant genesis, okay? But, uh, you know, Magneto being the counterpoint to we should not be peaceful with them we should dominate and rule them that was the magneto that i grew up with they they are they are beneath us they they do not deserve to share the same space as us they certainly don't deserve to dictate terms to us we should rule them and charles xavier saying in no uncertain terms should that be the case and and that makes us monsters that makes us villains and 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 he and um magnus magneto are on opposite ends one preaches peace one preaches kind of uh, uh, oppression of, of, of mankind and, and putting them, subjugating them to their rule and violence. And again, you've heard the um, one is Martin Luther King and one is Malcolm X. And I think that's a, maybe too broad of a, of a brushstroke to paint it with, especially in today's um, um, the reality of what we live in today. But, but that is certainly the intent that Stan and Jack had going back you know, in the 60s when they formed this concept, which is a great concept. And when we get away from that concept, I think the the franchise suffers, but in the summer, the summer of X was full on um, doubling down on this premise. But to get there, like I said, the Jim Lee stuff, the Savage Land, the Imperial Guard, the 275. I know 275 is is that awesome double-sized X-Men Imperial Guard. I was there. Those books either came out the week before me, sometimes the week of me, sometimes the week after me, but we were always, Jim and I are, my new mutants run and his uncanny X-Men were hitting at the same time. And Jim's work at that point, uh, it was different than what he would done, had done on Alpha Fight and different than what he had done on Punisher War Journal. But again, I love seeing all his different influences. I felt like he had a different way that he would approach Cyclops and a different way and maybe a different influence than he would uh, approach Wolverine. Um, it was beautifully drawn. The figures were long, lean. Uh, the, the, the guys, everybody was still kind of, like I said, on an Art Adams um, point. Uh, of 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 reference in terms of that had become the new cool commercial standard. I was doing it. I saw Eric Larson doing it. Um, for the most part, Wills Portacio, who remember Wills Portacio inked every issue of Longshot, so Wills knows bet art better than anybody. But again, it's kind of the broad shoulders, the the, the slightly um, slimmer waist, long hips, thighs, legs, and I'm talking about the men, guys. I'm talking about the men. I'm not talking about women. That that description I just gave you is for the male figure. Um, you know, a long torso is, is kind of a, a mark of this style. And then long thighs, um, it, it, it's again, it's that style that, that Art Adams got when he put Michael Golden and Walt Simonson and Mike Kaluta together and gave us that signature trademark style that was all over those classic X-Men issues. So when, when Jim is on Uncanny X-Men, and, and especially uh, the Extinction Agenda is to me my peak favorite, those Savage Land issues, 
uh, Extinction Agenda, X Men Two Seventy Five is to me my favorite absolute uh, Jim Lee run uh, of of all time. I love looking at it, the faces, the figures, the backgrounds, the environments, um, the inking by Scott Williams. They were they were jamming together. The, the that 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 quill line, those those sharp razor sharp um, switch ups with thick thick lines, razor sharp thin lines. All of the very detailed rendering. This is the stuff we poured over. Um, that this is what made X Men so hot again because you were seeing them guys like me, my generation, and trust me, my generation at that point is in their twenties or late teens. So of course we're excited to be back in the Savage Land. Of course we're excited to be revisiting the greatest hits, you know, um, and and back in space with 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 the Imperial Guard and with the Star Jammers and and with the the Shi'ar Empire and Magneto is back to being a ruthless son of a bitch who is uh, formidable, and now they're making new offshoots as he creates his acolytes and plans his 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 uh his rule i'll tell you in the in the claremont burn uh, era they they the first time they ever uh showed magneto living on an asteroid asteroid m there was talk eventually and you as a kid you're like oh my gosh what if the x-men went up to asteroid m and 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 had a full-on assault and in interviews you know john Byrne had spoken of that 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 was kind of what would have been a great environment and in their intent for making this awesome showdown on asteroid m okay but uh they didn't get to it but of course jim has a showdown and a giant three issue assault that we've never seen before on asteroid m um following his launch of x-men in the summer of x and that stuff is thrilling it's exciting um it it it, it literally is the giant flex of the modern x-men era it is that the X-Men are loyal to mankind, even though mankind um, despises them. They are uh, banding together under Xavier's guidance. Uh, Cyclops is trying to find his way. Everyone's trying to hold the center together as they commit to protecting mankind from all these dangerous threats and continuing to turn down the temptations to dominate mankind, which is what Magneto wants. I had thrown a wrench in the works by introducing Cable, who I couldn't have him be one of those two Xavier and Magneto extremes. He had to be in the middle. In the middle, for my purposes, was, you're wrong, Magneto. We're not here to dominate these people. And you don't want to see how that turns out, because I've seen how that turns out, because I'm from the future. And Xavier, you do not want to continually just bend the knee to mankind. They don't earn your trust. But what we need to do is, is have a call to arms and be ready for everything that's going to come down. Mankind deserves, we, we deserve to live alongside them peacefully. They deserve our tolerance and our protection. But there are forces coming between both mankind and mutant kind that are going to try and tear us apart. And his entire approach was an aggressive, very uh, offensive, and I mean offensive by putting on the offense rather than being on the defense, approach to um, protecting the mutant ideals. So he doesn't believe in, in surveilling the enemy. He believes in knocking down the front door with his big boot and with his giant cable gun and storming it and taking out the, um, the enemies before they can take foot and take hold. So it's definitely a more aggressive uh, position than Xavier had, but it's also a much more tolerant position than what Magneto you know, provided. And I felt that with cable... We, there was that giant room. When you've got Malcolm X and you've got, uh, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. ideals, the two extremes that you're dealing with and in in, in putting into a sci-fi superhero realm, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of room in that middle to mix it up. And so cable helped uh, completely shift the occasion and they were all very intimidated by him. And also cable continued to reveal that he knows some of these people who don't even know themselves. I wasn't able to do it, but the story that I tried to sell Bob Harris and I didn't hang around long enough to do it because when I watched, when I read Stan and Jack's uh, X-Men number one, I loved seeing the danger room. The danger room is a tenant of, come on, it, it, it is part of the X-Men's lore, their history. It's right there in the beginning. They work out. They work out in this high, high tech um, room. And you go, how does this guy in a wheelchair have all this money? I mean, to finance this, this vision, much less, so there's the Kirby vision. And then, then you get into the 70s and the 80s and you get John Burns much more refined technology and, 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 and it looks more expensive and it looks like even more like unattainable. You go, where'd the guy get all this tech? Okay, you can have the money, you can have the billions, but where do you get the design tech? Where, where'd all this come from? I want to do a story where a very young, uh, disguised cable comes back in one of his first journeys to surveil the time that he's going to land on. And he sells to the, you know, Charles Xavier, right before he opens his school, he sells the danger room technology to him. It's got to broker it. It's got to be legit. But he is the technician and, and Cable, in fact, designed the danger room tech and and, and gave that over uh, to, to Xavier. That was one of my big kind of uh, re like reveals that would further cement. You know, you, you think, oh, the baby, the baby, Nathan Summers is a baby. No, no, no. It goes way deeper than that. Cable has been keeping tabs and moving things in the direction they need to go for the war that's coming in the future. And that's all of Cable's, uh, you know, um, intent. And the cool thing you can do with comics, serials, just like with a novel novelization, something that's coming out every, 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 you know, four weeks and you have the time to build stuff that, that movies can't always cram into two hours. You can build that slow, um, relationship and that slow kind of data dump that 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 information uh, pylon it doesn't have to come in one giant speech in a movie you can do it parcel it out over time and and reveal that cable you know has been um interacting and in and out of the the mutant's life for for years in, in one in 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 one form or another trying to help them steer them nudge them because he knows what's coming that's the thing i love about people from the future that that they can come back with their histories and, and and James Cameron never did it better than in the original Terminator when Michael Biehn is Biehn is trying to not uh, you know reveal all that he knows about Sarah Connor and John Connor and, and and the information that he has is tragic some of it's crucial in changing the course of mankind or you know which which um which actions is he comfortable making that's going to affect an outcome against this future you know a artificial intelligence that's going to enslave us. It's really exciting. It's fun to peel back the layers and, and, and continue to kind of build the lore. Would that I have stayed on for a long time. So much more would have come out. Um, but that is the cable of it all. So that the Jim Lee is, 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 is driving you insane with love because you can't get enough of his uncanny X-Men. And he is going to get the follow-up call for the summer of 91 to... Uh, build on the monster success of the three million copies that Spider-Man under Todd McFarlane sold. But so Uncanny X-Men is going to get some downtime. It's going to transition and uh, they're going to keep publishing it, but Jimmy's going to move off of it to 
prepare for his big launch, which is going to come out come in the in the in the in August of 1991 with all the five or six covers that fit together the that that make one giant diorama. It's going to be awesome. Okay, X Force number one, which which I was successfully able to wedge in there based on the sales success of New Mutants under my guidance under my influence. They gave me. X-Force number one, we detailed that. It was turned down multiple times. I think I think at the last minute, they just realized we can do this. We can double down. We had always had one giant mega million seller planned for the summer of 1991, the summer of X, Mutant Genesis. Once they plugged in X-Force to be the June book and X-Men to be the August book, I think then they formulated their Mutant Genesis uh, marketing, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the marketing initiative. That was going to get you so excited. And I've got the posters. Mutant Genesis. I've got, you know, they're back and they're fighting mad. Some of you, some of you guys have that. It's the X-Force number one poster. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite images that I did. I love how just cocksure uh, Cable is in that picture with the gun kind of kind of propped up. And his arm under, under his other arm is he's kind of balancing that gun. And everyone else is sitting around you. And again, you hadn't, you had only interacted with Shatterstar for a few pages. Domino for 20 pages. Okay, um, they're coming. They're coming. This big giant X Force launch is coming. The X Men launch is coming. They've got their giant um, um, posters. But here's the deal. I told you these books were number one. Imagine inheriting a lineup. Let's say it's a TV show. Let's say, let's say you were given the Thursday night slot of Friends in the '90s. It was Friends. Whatever came after that, they needed to do well in between Friends and Seinfeld. And then I'm pretty sure it was mad about you for a while. But even that post-Seinfeld slot was something that was always up for grabs. And then there was ER with George Clooney and Julianne Margolis. Um, okay, so you had the Friends half hour, the Seinfeld half hour at 9 o'clock. And then you had your 10 o'clock block at ER. They were always changing what followed Friends and sometimes what followed Seinfeld. But in, in, in many ways... That built upon the success. The X-Men is the, is the NBC Thursday night lineup because prior to Friends, Seinfeld, and ER, in the 80s, Thursday nights on NBC was the Cosby Show, A Different World, uh, um, the, 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 crab, the, the Michael, J., Michael J. Fox show with the Keatons that, of course, now I'm doing the podcast. I, I, can't, I can't think of it. Family Ties. Is that it? Is that? And then... Uh, and then cheers. Okay. And then it was, um, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was it, either, either St. Elsewhere or Hill Street Blues. Um, eventually it was LA Law. Okay. That 10 o'clock, that, that, that block, uh, that, that closed out the night was always some killer drama, but getting there were four half hour comedies, Cosby show, different world. Uh, and, and, and the Michael J. Fox, gosh, I, I hope it's called, you know, family ties. And, and then they would switch up, but Cheers was, was, was dynamite. And, and they were ratings monsters. They were absolute ratings monsters, you guys. Um, you know, it, 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 they dominated, they dominated the eighties. That slot was dominated by the eighties. And, uh, yes, indeed, Family Ties, Michael J. Fox as Michael P. Keaton. Okay. Uh, uh, that, that was the dominant block on television. Cosby Show was the number one show on television. And, and then Family Ties, I think, was like number two. And then Cheers would go on to be either number two or number one eventually. Um, but, but it doesn't matter. They all got all the eyeballs on a Thursday night. And at some point, 
those shows were going to go into their 10th seasons. They were going to get long in the tooth. They had to turn them over. And imagine being the executive that says, I got this. I can take this and make this into something else. That is very, and, and then you got Friends, and, and then you got, you know, uh, Seinfeld, and, and then you got ER. Okay, you guys, um, that was what we're talking about here. Bob took X-Men, X-Factor, New Mutants, Wolverine, and he said, I can take these to 11. He took them from being the top-selling books to being the even better top-selling books. He um, rearranged all the creative teams. Jim Lee comes in, takes over X-Men. Mark Silvestri goes to Wolverine. Wills, Wills Portacio comes in and does X-Factor. Then he gets the slot to do Uncanny once Jim leaves. Then Larry Stroman, who is an amazing, outstanding artist. Um, just, just amazing visuals, dynamics. His style is so cool. He's, he's ridiculously talented. He had, I had known his work on Alien Legion. They get him to fill the X-Factor slot that Will leaves behind to do Uncanny X-Men. And then New Mutants has been transformed into this powerhouse called X-Force. That is an upgrade across the board. And if you're listening to this and you're picking up those comics, you know it because you supported it. You turned 500,000 copies into 700,000 copies. You turned 100,000 New Mutant copies into 1 million X-Force copies. You did that because you liked what we were doing. You responded to what we were doing. I would show up at those stores. Again, I cannot tell you how organic it is to show up and to do all the different store signings in Southern California and go, I think these people just saw me 30 days ago. I, I, I can't imagine they're going to show up. They're, they're bored seeing me. And you're like, oh my gosh, the, the crowd tripled it. it it's, we skipped doubling it. We've tripled it. Uh, a signing that used to be an hour and a half is now four hours, is now six hours. And this is all prior to X-Force number one launching. But X-Force is just part of the piece of mutant genesis that blew your mind, right? Again, Wills is now on Uncanny X-Men. That book has never been better. Art to Bear is inking him. We don't give Wills Portacio enough praise. He is a consummate figure, the best figure drawer, the best um, anatomically, you know, anatomic master, anatomically, you know, uh, 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 superhero anatomy, the master. Non-superhero anatomy, the master. I've never seen the form, the soldiers. Everything moves together. It's all moving. He has such a mastery of the form. He's like comic books own George Bridgman. Um, he is he is the Bern Hogarth of comics. And if you don't know who those guys are, those are the the, the, the guys that that, that 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 have the the legendary celebrated. If you go to the junior college, if you take art courses, they're going to recommend to you um, the George Bridgman and the Bern Hogarth uh, figure drawing and anatomy books. Okay, those are the the, the, the staples and, and, and no one drew anatomy better and more um, just dynamic than Wills Portacio. Now you guys know that Wills and, and Jim Lee and Scott Williams all shared a studio for a, an extended period and, and I can even I can't even imagine the, the shared mojo that they, that was going on there. I'd hear about it, I'd see it, but I was never there under one roof and uh, and, 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 and the growth in all of their work was substantial as Jim's uh, commercial techniques and leanings were also passed on over to, to, to Wills. And, and the other thing, Wills, he could light a figure, a face. He understood lighting. Um, just some of the best cast shadow, the, the best uh, core shadows is, is, is what Wills was all about. They, they teamed him with Art to Bear, who was at the peak of his own commercial ink line. I believe the best inkers of that era are Scott Williams and Art to Bear. They are outstanding embellishers. And uh, so, so Jim with Scott, and uh, 
and, and Art and Wills are now going from X Factor, which became ridiculously uh, suddenly, you know, dynamic and bold. And Wills was the perfect guy to do that. After Walt left, there was a few Paul Smith issues. Paul Smith, who came to fame uh, doing like one solid year of X-Men that drove fans' minds crazy because he was instantly our new favorite X-Men artist. And then he took off on his bike and, and drove around the around the countryside of the United States because he loved his hog. He, he's a biker man, but he had a background in animation. He returned to the X family to do some X Factor. So he was the bridge between Walt and then eventually Wills joining up. But Wills is perfectly plugged in doing Uncanny as Jim gets the regular book. It's exactly Eric Larson doing Amazing Spider-Man while Todd does the adjectiveless, just Spider-Man. That's what they called it. Just the regular Spider-Man book. So the uh, Mark put getting put on Wolverine helped him focus all of his brilliant uh, illustrative skills, his storytelling dynamics into one fo single focus character. Wolverine was the perfect vehicle for Mark, and they would set up a big celebration for him and give him a special, a big gimmick uh, cover because everybody was awarded one. Eventually, Todd with his three, me with my five trading cards in X Force number one, um, uh, uh, Jim with his five dioramic covers um you know uh mark eventually got that folder that was you know die cut slash through with the claws i think maybe the best of all of the enhancements but the, the x-men books had gone from being the top sellers to the even better top sellers you know um i'm telling you as a programmer bob doesn't get enough credit he saw the opportunities and replaced each guy with a new hungrier guy um, and, and, and even knew to pivot Mark away from the burden of a team book to a solo book. And Jim, who is gnashing at the teeth uh, to, 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 to bust, uh, to show his artistic chops on the X-Men, was unleashed. And again, you got your greatest hits. You revisited familiar haunts that had been abandoned for 20 years. Chris did not like going backwards. And Jim's like, no, let's do Starjammers. Let's do Savage Land. Let's do, you know, let's do Kazar. Let's do Nick Fury. Let's do S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, all of it. It was fantastic. Magneto was never better than than, than he was under John Byrne and Terry Austin. And, 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 and Jim realized that is a nerve that people want back. And so he stepped in and, and, and he, he restored uh, Magneto to those Burn Austin, that Burn Austin glory, that grandeur, that presence where Magneto was a badass. I had mystery on my side with X-Force. In the few, first few opening pages of X-Force, uh, number one, after we see them do what they do. And again, the, 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 the Jim Shooter uh, you know, di uh, diagram of open your book with your character showing their powers, showing what they do. First, if it's a 20, you know, one page book, it's 777. Seven pages of the character opening in an action sequence showing his power so the readers know what this character can do. Seven pages then of character development, you know, moving the plot along, um, some character consequence stuff. In Spider-Man, it would be Peter Parker showing up at the Bugle, getting an assignment, and then realizing that the building that he's going to, you know, take a photo, uh, photographs of is, is where Doc Ock is housing his new, you know, material and suddenly oh no doc ock discovers pesky parker and then the last seven pages they're fighting so you've got seven 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 my opening because i had a double-sized x-force number one that i penciled and inked is uh is is x-force showing their powers it's probably 12 15 pages it's a big throwdown with a mutant liberation front some new characters in there 
uh, big splashy images you see Shatterstar put through his motions, Domino Cable, everybody's getting a moment, Feral gets a giant moment battling Wildside, they, they both finally have equals, but then we settle in, in the hangar of, the, of, 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 of X-Force's headquarters, and Cable is working on the jet, and he's moving all these pieces uh, telepe telekinetically through the air, assisting him as he, you know, there's a wrench, there's a hammer, there's a drill, and Domino walks in and freaks out and accuses him of, what are you doing? You're going to reveal who you are to all these kids? And that's when he says, you know, I'll, I'll do that when, when I'm good and ready, and, and, and they're going to accept it uh, on the terms that I give them. And she's like, you, you just better be ready. I just can't believe you're, you're, you're slipping up like this. And he's like, I'm not slipping up. He's basically getting ready to tell them that he is who he is. The, the, the heir, you know, he's Scott Summer's son. He is, he is the legacy. And we are, you know, we have to keep the mystery going because New Mutants 100 was fueled back to multiple printings again by the strife reveal that, oh, this bad guy you've been fighting for the last year, this guy who's kicked your ass, this guy who is striking terror in you. Yeah, it's you. It's you. It's you with the mullet. It's you with longer hair. So um, the mysteries were unfolding. The conflicts were, were getting deeper. And, uh, you know, in, in preparation for mutant genesis and the big hype that was coming, Marvel had their killer Marvel Age magazine, which was their um, dedicated promotional magazine. And in Marvel Age number 102, it came out in May, the month before uh, June, which is when, 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 when X-Force number one launched. And the interview that I did with them was conducted in April. So if you're seeing it in May, it's, I, I was on the phone with Marvel in, in April. Could have, could have been as late as March, but it was definitely April. And of course, I did the cover. It's an X-Force cover to Marvel Age 102. And, uh, and this, this is meant to hype you and give you some preview pages and show you what's coming. But in the interview, they asked me to give an outline of what's to come. And this speaks to our good friend, Deadpool, because... I've mentioned in, in previous issues that when Deadpool arrives in New Mutants 98, Marvel tells me it's the most mail that they've ever received on a new character in the last 15 years. Now, mind you, Deadpool uh, 98 and Rich Johnson and his bleeding cool, I mean, maybe that's the first shout out I'm giving them on this show. He has tracked over time. Um, he has done articles on, on like, why is New Mutants 98 so uh, hard to get? There's There's so many copies of them. This book was at the height of its sales power and he's not wrong i'm telling you there's plus 700,000 copies of new mutants 98 now many of those are hoarded have i seen a dealer who has popped the top off his long box to show me that he alone controls 220 copies yes i've seen that guy it's crazy did i think about hitting that guy in the head with a hammer and loading my car with that box and driving away and this was five years ago yes i did i had those thoughts the, the, if, if this was Minority Report, Tom Cruise is crashing through my window right now and he's arresting me for, 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 for you know, uh, uh, pre-crimes pre in my mind. But that didn't happen. I didn't knock that guy over with a hammer. I didn't escape with that long box of, of New Mutants 98s. But again, that stuff's out there, man. They're in basements. Maybe they were lost to floods. But there were 700,000 copies of that. And I it, it did. I thought I was getting... um. Uh, uh, I told you, uh, 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 a washer and dryer for Marvel, like the way a studio gives Tom Cruise a Porsche after a movie, but it was just your mail, the mail that you guys sent me, telling me how much you love Deadpool, how much you love the way he looked, how much, how, how funny you thought he was, how, how much you loved that he fought um, Cable. You even loved and you fell for the fact that Domino put the knife in his back and she foiled the day. That was very clever. That was, you know, 
um, 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 foreshadowing yet another reveal, one that that actually caught Marvel off guard even more than Strife, and that was fun. But in Marvel Age 102, let me tell you something. In Marvel Age 102, so this came out in May, promoting a book that was coming out in June, okay, and, and you had held New Mutants 98 in your hands in January. You had met Deadpool in January. Well, when I'm doing this, uh, this ish, this interview, this is, um, before, like, the, 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 Bob had called me and asked me, urged me to move Deadpool's appearance. He wanted Deadpool in X-Force number one. I didn't have room for him because he's like, Rob, the fans love Deadpool in a way that you have no idea. And, uh, in, in Marvel Age 102, out, uh, in your hands in May, uh, that before, uh, X-Force launches in June. I am giving them a preview of, of what's to come. And it says one of the things the fans are going to be really excited about is the return of the ever popular Deadpool, which Liefeld has plans to return in issue six of X-Force. So why did he appear in issue two instead of issue six? Because Bob Harris urged me. I did that, um, interview in, in, in probably March or April for a May magazine and the mail just kept flooding Marvel. And he said, can you, can you, can you move up Deadpool? The fans love Deadpool. I'm addressing this because when people sometimes ask me, Hey man, do you, do you love that X Deadpool is popular now? I kind of always give them that cocksure look like what? Like, and I, I, I'm like, huh? Um, Deadpool was popular the minute the ink was dry on the page. And, and those books, uh, that, 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 that the fans sent that amount of mail, that amount of absolute excitement and thrill. And you guys determined how absolutely popular Deadpool was to the tune of. We had to make him a card in X-Force number one because I couldn't put him on the book. And he was the focal point. He's the opening 12 pages of X-Force 2 for a reason. He was moved. I had announced issue six, but you guys moved him to two because my editor, wisely enough, urged me to do that. Again, that's on the editor. An editor that said, I can take this best-selling line of books and I can make them a better best-selling line of books. And that deserves all the credit in the world. Bob Harris put together a stunning, stunning lineup. And when you were buying X-Force number one and buying Uncanny X-Men with Wills and buying Wolverine with, with Mark Silvestri and buying Jim Lee's super-duper 8 million launch of X-Men number one, I just, I'm thankful that I was able to be number one in comics for two months. X-Force 1 and 2 were the number one best-selling comic book. I've, I've been able to do that a couple times in my career, but that was fun. And and, and I knew because I knew the freight train was coming in. And as you guys know, we're going to move soon into Sabotage, which is, I hear the Beastie Boys right now. I won't do it for you. But because Todd McFarlane joins with me and we bring you some Sabotage and we turn everything sideways in our next installment because Mutant Genesis Summer of X is just getting started. But kudos to Bob Harris for, for, for putting the team together. Kudos for him recruiting like a madman and getting a winning team. This is like Magic and Worthy and, and, and Byron Scott, my beloved Lakers, being replaced the very next summer by Magic and Kobe. Like there is no 10-year gap. There is no 10-year drought. It's just like immediately. What this guy did is incredible. It also speaks to the competition we were feeling from the Spider-Man office with Todd just putting all the heat on and Eric Larson putting all the heat on and then eventually more recruiting 
um, from Jim Salakov as he continues to build that out. But the X-Men and the Spider-Man offices were the two biggest offices. They were the books that were dominating. Another lie that I, 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 I reject all the time. If you've ever seen a 90s apologist, somebody who hates hearing about it, hates that he wasn't there, he'll say, everything sold well in the 90s. Everything sold well. You're not special. No, that's not true. Fantastic Four did not sell well. Captain America did not sell well. The Avengers did not sell well. Okay. Wonder Woman was not selling well. The Green Lantern was not selling well. Flash was not selling well. This is a lie. These sales, this excitement, this ignite, that we ignited this sales and punched through to another level of sales that Marvel had not increased and did not anticipate. And that is on the recruitment of Bob Harris and the talent that he got who knew that they had the passion. We weren't phoning it in. There was no paychecks. This was the new, um, these were the new guys uh, uh, coming at you. And two of them were, were L boys and over Eric Larson was doing his L boy magic on Spider-Man. And, and, and we, we were, we were, uh, we were having a blast. It was genuine. It was organic. We had love for this stuff. We weren't tired. We weren't burnt out. We weren't dreading getting up to do that next page because we'd been doing it for 20 years. We were fresh and we were hungry. Bob Harris saw it. You saw it. You supported him. Mutant Genesis, we're just getting started. We're going to turn things sideways next time. Do not miss out. Thank you for hanging with me. I am Rob Liefeld. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. Blue check, the real guy on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. Thank you for hanging. Tell your friends, subscribe, um, share the love. Um, Storm Shadow was definitely an influence on, on, on uh, Phantom X. You heard it here first. I'm Rob Liefeld. You are going to keep yourself safe. You're going to take care of yourself. And we are going to talk again soon. Thank <laughs> you.